So first things first, we should probably acknowledge the name change. Yeah. We are now called Hella Interesting People. That's true. We found out there was another podcast with the previous name, and we don't want to... We want to be able to be found in search engines. We don't want to cast any shade on them. So we are now HIP, Hella Interesting People. Hip, hip, hip. Hooray. And we're both from Oakland, which is the, where the word Hella came from. Yeah. It's and a big part of the, the lexicon now. People use, I feel like people use it outside of that. Well, it's a word in the dictionary now. Yeah. And it's a prefix. In what sense? Is like, like it's a metric prefix. Like, um, uh, like a hellogram? Yeah, like um, a, a, oh my god, um, like giga and tera and mega, like gigabyte, terabyte, etc. Right. Now, helibyte. So each one of those represents 10 to a different power. Like uh, a, a thousand bytes is a megabyte. or A, a kilobyte. A, a kilobyte, yeah. And then a or thousand. Or is that a one thousandth of a byte? No, 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 no. That would no. be a millibyte. And then a thousand of that is uh, a, a, giga, a, a gigabyte, and a thousand of that is a terabyte. Right, so how up. much is a helibyte? 10 to the 27th power. So that's like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, like, I don't remember. But More like, than you could count. A, a one followed by 27 zeros. Yeah. So an absurd number. So yeah, that, so a hel- and the sun weighs like 14.3 helitons. I had no idea. Yeah. This, it's, it's, uh, it was based on a petition in 2010 that started at UC Davis, which isn't the bay, but it's like bay adjacent. Yeah. Yeah. Yolo County. We'll take it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like being, like, you and I are both from Oakland. Neither of us live there anymore. Correct. But You're I definitely, I'm in LA. I took that with me. Like, I, yeah. when I moved to Chicago, I started saying hello more than I ever did when I lived <laughs> in Oakland. For real, yeah. It's just sort of, like, stuck with me. When I moved to New York, I, I lived in Brooklyn for a year with two other dudes from the Bay Area, and I was like, we're going to make Hella a thing here. We're going to do it. And it didn't, it didn't work, but we really, really pushed. <laughs> I will say that I think that Hella has spread more out of the Bay than Wicked has spread out of Boston. I think Hella has more influence than Wicked. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't know anybody that says Wicked. Except for people who are straight up from Boston. Right. Or Ron Weasley in the Harry Potter films. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. He does say that yeah, a lot. Yeah, wicked. Yeah, it's a pivotal moment. So I want to get into our talk with Sarah Ruby. Oh, yes. First, before we do that, I know you want to tell us about your new dog. Yeah, I got it. So d- let's, just, let's just get that out of the way. I got a dog. Since we last recorded an episode, I got a dog. His name is Ziggy. Um, he's fantastic. Uh, he's... They told us he's an Australian cattle dog, but he's a much, much... Cause the, but those are like the size of Great Danes, and he's like only like 17 pounds. He's little. He's little, yeah. He can't fit through a cat door, which sucks as we have a cat door. But, Randomly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he's great. He's super cute. He's a rescue. Um, he loves other dogs. Uh, he doesn't smell bad yet. He is a, a very, is an exceptionally cute dog. Yeah. But I just want to point out, I've known you for a long time. Mm-hmm. You were never a dog person. Not once. Never owned a mammal in my life. Like when I picked you up from the airport that one time, I had to give you a disclaimer about my dog saying he's very friendly. Right. He might jump on you. Don't freak out. I used to fucking freak out because uh, our buddy Eli had a big dog named Taxi who would freak me out whenever I went to his house and they would throw Taxi in the basement because I just didn't fuck with dogs. Right. But now... But now, look at you. Like, that dog has you wrapped around its finger. That My Instagram is just pictures of Ziggy now. With the bow tie? Yep, yep. We bought a collar that came with a bow tie and that... That was what I did that day. I put the collar on him, and I sat in the corner with a big old smile on my face, and that was my day. 
he's a cute dog. He's so great. He's wonderful. I'm happy for you. I hope that our dogs can, can kick it sometimes. We don't even have to be there. We can just have them link up. Right. <laughs> so let's get into it. We're talking yeah. with Sarah Ruby, who it's not a coincidence has the same last name as I do. She's my cousin. And uh, really, she's been like a big sister to me. I think she's just excellent people. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's just so badass and awesome. I don't have enough good things to say about her. Uh, and you're, we get pretty heavy in this episode. We mm-hmm. talk a lot about criminal justice. And we talk a lot about just what it means to be a public defender, you know, in this at this current time. Yeah. And an interesting thing that happened during our talk with Sarah was the results of the Derek Chauvin murder trial came in and he was found guilty on all three counts. Mm-hmm. And so we incorporate that into it because Sarah's got a lot to say on that as well. We get a live reaction from yeah. PD. This was a really good one. Mm-hmm. I felt like we finished the talk and I'm just like, that was productive. Mm-hmm. I'm going to like go eat some ice cream now. Right. Like, we did something today. Yeah. So without further ado, here's our talk with Sarah Ruby, public defender. Enjoy. talk about you and what you do and your profession uh, and all that. So um, my question is, how about that Sixth Amendment? Right? You fuck with the Sixth <laughs> Amendment? It's good shit, right? How about that Sixth Amendment? And the Fourteenth Amendment. I mean, that one, that's a doozy. Mm-hmm. For our listeners. Yeah, I Sixth mean, Amendment, sorry, go ahead. The, the Sixth Amendment, um, and you could... Uh, articulate this better than me, but it basically grants defendants the right to counsel. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, they get a, they're guaranteed a court appointed lawyer if they are accused of uh, a crime, uh, not infractions, at least in California, they don't, they aren't entitled to counsel at a, uh, for an infraction. Um, and I think some jurisdictions maybe don't give them in misdemeanors, but in my jurisdiction, you get a lawyer from your first court appearance, uh, misdemeanors and above. Okay, and what is your jurisdiction, Santa Clara County? Yes, I work in San Jose, uh, which uh, is in Santa Clara County. Right, which San Jose being the third biggest city in California, I believe. It's bigger than San Francisco or anywhere else in the area. Yes, I believe that's true. I, I, but it, is it is the, what's bigger than San Jose? Is it second to LA? I think it's LA, San Diego, San Jose, mm-hmm. San Francisco, Fresno. I, maybe. I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, that's I play a lot of online geography quizzes, <laughs> so I've done the California one a number of times. Yeah, uh, just looked it up. Uh, Los Angeles is roughly four million. San Diego is roughly one point four million and san jose is roughly one million so yeah it's number three wow i'm right good job san francisco Mike. is about eight hundred eighty thousand. tight number four so yeah san jose major jurisdiction okay so you are a public defender in san jose santa clara county in your own yeah. words what does a public defender do well It's changed a lot since I started doing this job. Um, So I'll tell you what I do um, today and we can talk about some of the changes and some of the things I see coming. Um, But what I do, I'm a member of the felony trial team. 
I have a caseload right now because of pandemic workflow. I have a caseload of about 25 people, um, all of whom, whom are accused of very serious felonies. Um, some of them have multiple cases, but um, I, I have about 26 people on my caseload. I represent them um, and I am their defense attorney, which means that, um, what does that mean? That's your question. What does that mean? So it means different things to different people. Mm -hmm. um, and so the classic, when, what, the, the classic aspect of my job is I get a case, um, I meet the client, the client wants due process, they want you know, uh, to fight their case. And so I do investigation, I work with investigators, I work with paralegals, um, I watch body-worn camera video, I review all the evidence, I talk to my client about the evidence, I talk to my client about the, what the law says, about what the evidence shows, um, and I um, and we talk. I talk to my clients about what investigation shows may or may not have happened, and what people say now versus what they told police, and um, and then the client makes a decision about whether he or she wants to fight their case. Um, and um, that the 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 big um, the big event, uh, if they want to fight their case, is a trial. So we'll have a jury trial. Um, but there are a lot of other things that I do um, in other and cases. You're, and you're all, um, you don't do civil litigation. It's all criminal. No. So it's all people accused of crimes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and some cases are, are like a fight case and like they can't prove it case or they can prove it, but I want my day in court. Those, that, there's that. But then there's also cases where something bad happened. And my job is to help make sure the least bad outcome happens for my client. Um, so a terrible car accident, we may, um, you know, I'm doing what's called mitigation where I'm trying to uh, come up with a solution that is accepted on all sides that has accountability, that has, you know, um, maybe my client taking responsibility, but maybe we don't throw my client away in the process. So in, uh, in honor of this wonderful holiday, 420, um, <laughs> I wanted to ask you how much of your workload is drug-related cases, and of those, how many are simply possession charges? So because of um, my current assignment, I only have one classic drug case, um, and it's a very serious sales case. Mm -hmm. um, and... That is one of the major changes um, from when I started. When I started and I had misdemeanors, you know, I don't want, I don't know the percentage, but a huge percentage of my cases were drug possession cases, mm -hmm. um, even um, people being just under the influence. Um, people could get jail time for that, which just seems crazy now. That was 10 years ago when I started. So now they've They've really gone, uh, they try to give people treatments. They try to divert people. The drug cases are viewed completely differently than they used to be. So drug possession, um, you'd have to talk to somebody else who actually knew how it works now. But since I got out of it, uh, they've, they try to handle it totally differently and try to divert people and get them treatment and stuff like that in this county. Now there are other counties probably jailing people, but in this county, right. they've taken in California is especially Northern California is a little more, I don't know if you call it progressive, but 
drugs like marijuana are decriminalized. But that yeah, doesn't... I mean, when I first started, you'd have marijuana possession cases. You'd right. have marijuana grow cases. You'd have marijuana sales cases. And my understanding is that those have gone away. Um, really? Because like, yeah. Interesting. But let me just say one thing, which is that a lot of my cases are still about drugs, even if it's mm. not, um, that's not the thing they're accused of doing. Right. Okay. So kind of like, uh, you know, George Floyd was on drugs. He was under the influence. Therefore, that has some bearing in the outcome of this trial. Like, is that kind of what you're saying? Like drugs were somehow um, So that, that um, so I would say like, let's, the, that, the particular use of drugs in that case is so, um, I, I think it, that is not the classic way it presents and sort of like to mitigate the behavior of um, an accused to say that the, the person that they killed was under the influence and therefore, you know, that somehow justifies the killing. Like, let's just cabin that because I just, mm -hmm. that's just so not the way it comes into play in my job. But okay. what I see are traumatized people who have seen horrible things in their lives. They have suffered from poverty, from racism, from um, violence, from um, gangs, from all kinds of hardships. And um, what I see a lot of are people in pain who self-medicate with mm -hmm. various drugs. And that might present in a case, for example, um, you know, a client who has seen it all, has had a horrible, you know, just really suffered so much trauma in their lives. And then of course takes any Xanax offered to them. And then like, you know, wanders into somebody's house and, you know, yeah. is all of a sudden accused of burglary and burglary is a strike and it's a serious, serious offense, especially if someone's home. Mm -hmm. And we don't want people going into other people's homes, but this was, you know, part of my job in this case was to explain why, you know, a relatively harmless crime may have occurred and to try to address, you know, try to make, make sure we get to the root of it, which is trauma right. and pain and suffering, rather than just, you know, send somebody to a, a box, a prison cell, and just hope that it gets better. That's, it's not, it wouldn't fix anything. No, of course not. And, um, you know, you're not justifying in that case, you're not justifying breaking and entering, but you're going, hey, this is more nuanced than a criminal broke into somebody's house. They were hopped up on Zannies, and that's an epidemic in and of itself. Yeah, um, sometimes it's more effective than others, um, and um, you know, sometimes it's not. It doesn't help that yes, you've been through all this trauma, and I mean. Um, you know, self-medication on methamphetamine resulted in this behavior, you know, it's just not, there's not, the, the, the example I gave you happened to be a case where, you know, it was a very, you know, yes, it was serious under the law, but it wasn't serious by any other definition. Nobody um, got hurt. Nobody got hurt. And, you know, it was just, it was just a sad, you know, it was just a, 
a harmless and sad and you know a point of intervention, shall we say? And I wanted the system to see it as a point of intervention rather than you know, oh my God, you know, because you know because of uh, criminal history, this is now a life in prison case. Like no way, no way. Um, and so my job was to like get everybody, you know, to educate everybody on who my client was and like why this was just not the system needed to take it down many, many notches. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have other cases where drugs are involved and, um, you know, it's not a mitigator. It doesn't really help us. Um, but, right. but, um, and that's not to say that like people who use drugs are just like dangerous people. What I think is that traumatized people have a very hard time um, with fight or flight responses, with anger responses, they're dysregulated. And so, um, and so, you know, using, I heard in a training once that like using methamphetamine and some of these drugs like does make them feel better. It doesn't necessarily lead to good outcomes for them. But, you know, I, to me, it makes perfectly rational sense why they turn to drugs. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, being on drugs is generally better than not being on drugs. Like, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that. And I understand, especially if you have, you know, all of this trauma and all, all of this shit, you know, why, why wouldn't you? <laughs> and, you know, yes. you're talking about the system and per the system, there is there's some semblance of uh, gradation, I guess, between crimes, i.e. drunk driving versus sexual assault and the punishment. Yeah for those two things is generally different. But, and I'm going to bring this in, if you are a person of color, that hierarchy of illegal activity seems to get a little blurred, right? Like you have sex offenders lumped in with folks who get caught with a quarter ounce of weed. And it becomes a very fine line between crimes that are worlds different. Do you find that to be true? Um. I will say that you're right, which is that um, black and brown people accused of crimes, there's a systemic, um, a systemic overcharging, over arresting, over involving, over entrenching in whatever system you have. Um, and that is certainly true. Um, I would say that um, the other thing is that because of poverty and because of racism, um, my clients of color have, are more traumatized usually, and have um, and so um, they um, they might. If you don't understand trauma, you might not understand their behavior and why it makes sense. Um, and so um, there is complete. Um, unfairness at every level. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to say, um, you know, I wouldn't say that like somebody with a DUI, you know, a person of color accused of a DUI is treated the same way as like, you know, a sex crime. Like that's a hard comparison to draw. And I don't think you sure. can say that. Perhaps I was being a little um, yeah, right. no, I know. overzealous um, in my comparison. I, I understood your meaning. Um, um, I absolutely do think that um, actors in the system, when they look at um, they look at a person who's accused of a crime, they very well might think that a, a white college kid has more to lose and is sort of suffering more 
than a kid who grew up on the east side of San Jose, who, you know, you know, I, you worry about that. And that, and I see that as one of the central functions of my job, which is to make, is to um, help my colleagues understand um, the human being on the other side of every case. Um, so that, that, so that you're, they're not just making surface judgments and that they really understand the human being um, in front of them so that they don't just, I, to me, it's just intolerable that we would throw anybody away. Prison, you know, if, if what we're trying to accomplish is a safer society, prison is not the answer. And so um, while I completely do believe that there is such unfairness and injustice at every level, and by the time it's gone to us, it's like already been, you know, at a million levels before us, um, I really try, I mean, we really try to make explicit that concern in, a, in the cases where it is a concern. I don't know if that answers your question. It does, absolutely. And I, I imagine that uh, being a public defender puts into perspective the idea of who is a criminal and what that word criminal actually means. Like, like if you're likening criminals to anybody that breaks the law, then you'd be hard pressed to find an adult who isn't a criminal. You know, I drove on the highway the other day, 10 miles above the speed limit, right? So like where, at what point are you a criminal or is that word even like, does that word have any fucking meaning anymore? I mean, my hope is that that word is uh, retired because um, I, th I think I sound like a, a, like a broken record, but what we really have are people who are responding in different ways because of their experience. So for example, you drive 10 miles over the speed limit, you get pulled over, you're like, you know, you were just, you have not had, you know, a hundred bad experiences with cops. You, you know, um, don't have, you, you didn't, your experience doesn't make you sort of heightened by being pulled over in that moment. You know, you didn't just lose your job. Like, you know, we could, you know, so you're able to have that interaction and you get your speeding ticket and you say, ah, shucks, shouldn't have been speeding and you drive off, you know? And, right. and often it. I get these police reports, I get these cases and they start just like that. Like someone gets pulled over for driving 10 miles an hour over the speed limit mm -hmm. and it just goes terribly for, you know, a million reasons. One reason may be, um, you know, systemic racism and the person, you know, gets called out of their car in a situation where, you know, you or I never would and treated terribly and ends up, I mean, I've had clients in that situation end up hogtied and beaten in horrible circumstances. Um, but maybe my client just, you know, cannot um, process the fact that they're safe in this interaction and they just need to give their license and registration and it'll all be okay because of their past experience and they're triggered and they, um, there's a lot of brain science about why things spiral and why we need the people who do these traffic stops to be trauma informed and to have de-escalation mm -hmm. skills because some people just, you know, sometimes people are having a terrible day or a terrible year. Um, and, uh, and so, no, but to me, no criminal to me people are doing their very best and sometimes it's not very good 
And we as a society, I think, have an obligation to sort of get it to the root of that. If we want to be safe, if we want to, um, you know, some people are going to go to prison and come back to our community. And, and how do we want them to come back? Do we want them to come back further traumatized? Or do we want them to have some resilience to have the next traffic stop or the next, you know, card, you know, you know, counterfeit bill um, or a card declined at a supermarket and just be able to be present and instead of, uh, you know, having a adrenaline fueled response. What you're describing makes it sound like being a public defender is like, there's a fine line between that and being a social worker. Like, it, like, do you feel like social work is kind of part of the whole mix? Uh, yes, absolutely. And that's one of the huge differences from what I do now and what I did when I started. Um, we now have social workers in our office and we are moving towards a model where we try to um, get at the thing that is going to, to solve the problem, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, if it's, you know, you're stealing to support a drug habit, like maybe we can explore rehab, right? We're mm -hmm. spending money on people anyway, whether it's putting them in prison or whether it is, um, or whether it's trying to give them support and help and tools. And so I do think that when we are doing our jobs reasonably well, we are thinking about how does this person not come back to us? And that's a huge revolution. Right. When I started, Yes, like we kind of dabbled in this stuff, but there was no, that was not explicit that our job was to, we did, we weren't staffed to like get at the root of problems. Now I can refer a client to a social worker and, you know, they can find a housing program for them so that I can get them out of custody. So they can start, you know, showing, get a job and start showing that they are, um, you know, they are not somebody who just needs to be put in a cage, that they really do want to build back their life and did make a mistake, but like, your, yeah anyway social work point. is a big part of it yeah um i think that uh public defenders at least the well-intentioned ones like yourself uh do a pretty big service to society because like it's not about letting dangerous criminals walk the street it's, it's about keeping people out of prison that don't need to fucking be there in the first place and that opens up a whole you know, the philosophical debate about who needs to be or deserves to be incarcerated, but it's without a doubt that the prison system is just so gummed up with low-level offenders that don't need to be there. So that's my long-winded way of asking the question, do you feel like part of your duty is helping to declutter the prison system? I feel like my job, that is one aspect of my job. I mean, to do, like, I would like to, I think prison is an abomination and I think that our society will be judged by our prisons and it will not be pretty. Mm -hmm. um, I don't I, I don't think anybody um, benefits from prison. I don't think we you know the people on the outside do it's certainly the people on the inside. I don't I don't know that it achieves uh, anything. So I I think it's a tragedy when any of my clients go to prison. Now do some of my clients go to prison? They absolutely do. Mm -hmm. um, but but yes, I would like to keep people out of prison. That is my goal. Um, I, sorry, the, I, I don't know if you want me to say more. Um, I, I do. don't, I prison is bad. It doesn't yeah. make us safer. Now, are there some pe people who um, 
you know, aren't safe in the community? Um, yes. And do I want to see them get some help? And, you know, I, yes, but prison is not that. Right, right. Prison does not rehabilitate. It does not rehabilitate. And I guess, so the reason why, I mean, the, the, what you said about um, low level, like there's, I, I think that we lose something when we, when we talk about criminal justice reform and only talk about um, nonviolent crime. Like I think violent crime personally, based on what I've seen is, uh, is also treatable. Um, and um, I don't think we should throw away the um, people who have committed violent crimes simply because it makes us, you know, I think that there's work to be done on um, finding rehabilitative alternatives. I mean, the prisons are filled with people who committed armed robberies when they were 19 years old. And, yeah. you know, um, that they, that's just, a, that's not the answer. How often do you find yourself in a moral dilemma? Like specifically, if you are assigned to represent someone who is accused of a violent or sexual crime, like how how often are you just like, oh fuck, man, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with this person. It's sort of my job not to have that, um, not to. Let me just back up and sort of explain my role. Yeah. The we talk about the criminal justice system. That's you know that's police officers, probation officers, judges, um, and judges neutral. Let's leave judges out. Prosecutors. Um, the entire weight of, you know, almost the entire weight of the government come, is coming down on my client. And let's say that my client is accused of, you know, a sex crime. Um, and I am the only person in the system whose job it is to test the evidence, to do investigation, to look into what can be proven in this case. And while I personally absolutely never, I can't as a person get on board with the idea like sex crimes are great and I have no problem and it's awesome. Uh, I accept that when I take a client, something tragic may have happened here and it may have been at my client's hand. Mm -hmm. My job is to test the evidence and to test my assumptions and to, um, you know, make sure the facts, what, you know, look at whether the facts can be proved or not because we think we know and we don't you know we think you know we hear about allegations we say ugh, like that's just so terrible and then inevitably you know i'll be chasing down a lead that my client gave me or i'll be testing the evidence in a way that seems like ugh, you know come on you know we that patterns would indicate you know isn't gonna bear fruit and then lo and behold um you know my client was right or um you know this aspect of the case totally falls apart and if it weren't my job to chase down every possible lead on behalf of my client we would never get at those things so i don't i can't can choose at the outset um you know who i'm gonna go down those rabbit holes for that's just what i do and then through that process 
it's just, it's not a question of, you know, morally whether I condone what has happened here. The question is, how do I help this human being through this process? And, um, and there may be times when the behavior is deeply unfortunate, but my job is to help is to be the only person who, who my client has to speak with about these things and to make really tough decisions about what to do. Um, that's, I mean, but like, how often do you defend someone and like, you need to prove that they're not guilty, right? Or that you, that they require services that aren't incarceration, but in your mind, how often you're just like, oh, this motherfucker is guilty. This, this person 100% committed this crime. You know, or do you not even go down that rabbit hole know, like, with yourself? Well, okay. Let me, let me just, so, you know, the answer to that is we're going to have some process, you know, like I, I, I talked to you about doing damage control, you know, and I may have a very hard conversation with my client being like, I, I don't know what happened here, but this is what they're going to be able to prove. Like I've had cases where I, you know, made a map and a timeline, you know, and said, look, like they say they saw you here, here, and here, and your DNA's here, here, and here. And yeah, uh, like, you know, I, I will do the work to make sure that it's not a surprise to them that, that the, that the, the facts can be proved. And, you know, if there's then any opportunity to settle the case or do damage control, whatever, we will do that. But it's not, you know, that's just not my, the system is taking care of that. The system is offering all the opprobrium and the pearl clutching and the, you know, outrage. It's just not my job. Mm -hmm. And but I find it not... sort of liberating that I don't have to stand in judgment of this human being. I mean, now, do you want me to go on one of my favorite tangents that like you may or may not want to cut out of this? I feel like we live in a society that is like just looking for the bad seeds. Like let's find the bad seeds and let's expel them and then we'll be pure. But we need to find them all because you know they're out there and we just, if we get rid of them all, we'll be good and we're good. That is garbage and i i'm you know not a particularly religious person um i but i do admire a lot the ancient religions idea that we are all sinners and that we uh we are you know there but for the grace of god go i and so there's so much judgment all around these cases it's just not my job Right. I mean, it's, it's the judge's job to judge, I suppose. Not judging and, that way. And, and it's everybody else whose job it isn't even really to judge. So um, there's plenty. Uh, it's just not. Um, I try to help people. Sometimes it feels like my job is to escort people through hell. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's what it feels like. Um, but I can't do that. You know, it's just, it's just, I, it's liberating to just see the human being, people who are in trouble, you know, like they, you know, it's just not something that is at the forefront. And I don't know if that sounds like 
bullshit or if it's unsatisfying yeah. in some way, but it's just no, it's because just... like you you like you said, you it's it's almost liberating how you don't have to carry that weight. Cause you know, like I said before, you're not about letting dangerous people walk the streets. That's not what you're doing. You know, you're you're uh, you're uh, getting services for people that need help, and you're you're preventing people from entering into a system that's just gonna make it fucking worse. Yeah, and I'm about testing the evidence and making sure I'm about delivering a level of service that you would want for your family member who is accused of a crime who you love very much. You know, mm -hmm. like that's how I think about it. It's like everybody deserves to have somebody they can that that will make sure that when the state comes knocking on your door to lock you up that that they get somebody one person who's gonna listen to what they have to say and hold the government to its burden and perhaps look for alternatives yes like some of it is the social work aspect but at the end of the day sometimes something really bad happens that cannot be mitigated mm -hmm. and the government is going to come down like a ton of bricks on your client and your job is to sometimes just sit there with them as that happens. Yeah. Uh, would you say that in some t in some cases your job is to bring about like uh, a sort of a degree of nuance? Because I feel like a lot of the time the, the public perception of at least in terms of law is that there's good and there's bad. And if there is bad, then the bad has to be destroyed. And you have to come in and go, well, let's look at let's look at everything. Let's take a holistic approach to this person and remember that, you know, mistakes happen things can be perceived from multiple perspectives. I think that that's definitely something that happens a lot in like, especially, okay, here's, here's my real question. How much of your job would you say has been affected by uh, the court of public opinion, especially when it comes to online discourse? Well, great question. Um, there has been some wonderful developments, truly shocking in terms of the broader society understanding our clients' lives and the the reality of what they deal with as far as like dealing with the police. Like early in my career, I had a case where my client was accused of delaying an officer in the performance of his duties. And my client was black and it just, you know, he got pulled over for loud music, his stereo was broken. He knew it, it just erupted and got really ugly. And uh, we lost that trial and the jury just afterwards was like, oh, why do you get so mad? You know, and I think that wouldn't, they wouldn't ask that question today. They would understand why a traffic stop might, a traffic stop where you're accused of loud music and you know your stereo is broken might go very badly. Um, so that's changed. I also, I mean, there are a bunch of ways that it's changed. The other thing is um, Donald Trump, um, you know, brought out into the open a lot of things that um, I noticed in jury selection, once after Trump was elected, people felt freer to say the kinds of racist things that they might have kept themselves. And as a, you know, as a society, we can, it's a whole different question about, you know, the impact of that. But as a person who's trying to get at whether a, an individual is right for a given jury, it was actually really helpful because it weeded out some people who I think um, yeah. might not before him then weeded out. So those are two things that I can sure, think of. Sure, our, our, our red-hatted friends. 
Yeah. Yeah. Redheaded friends got prouder. And in that, and jury selection is all about getting it all out there. You know, you think, you know, what do you think? My client has a Spanish interpreter. Does that upset you? And people said, it upsets me deeply. Yeah. People felt like, yeah, that proved something, that that was evidence of something when the law says they're not allowed to consider that. So, um, so the, the, but the the court of public opinion, you know, judgment, a, a rush to judgment, um, and I, I'll wrap this up, Jacob. But it's a great question: um, is intention is for is intention with the proof, the standard of proof beyond a reasonable doubt? Okay, so as a society, we read articles, we you know, talk to the person's third grade teacher, we think we know, and we are like, duh, like guilty, thrown away, we're done. But what we're doing in the courtroom is what testing the evidence to the standard of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And that's proof that leads you with an abiding conviction that the charge is true. And so um, the judgment, the, um, the public opinion aspect, people are very upset by what happens in courtrooms and thinks it's, they think it sounds so outrageous, the results sometimes. But the court of public opinion is doing a very different thing than what the jury is doing in the courtroom. Sure. And I, like, I was, I, I won't tell the whole story because I've already told it to you about the one time I was on a jury, but you know, it was, I guess you would call it a hung jury. Like, and I was one of the people that was like, I don't think we can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that this guy did this. Like, yeah, I know as a human being, like, yeah, he probably fucking did it. This dude was like, in court representing himself he had fucking crazy eyes like yes this dude definitely robbed this denny's or whatever it was but like could you prove it beyond a reasonable doubt and like i walked out of there going like okay cool so we put another black guy in jail for an indefinite amount of time well that was a really uh satisfying use of of this week you know <laughs> I really hated that experience. I didn't feel like I had, I had committed any like public service. I just felt like I had put another another guy in jail. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, there are times when I look at my uh, district attorney colleagues and kind of say, "We're not going to bring twelve people in for this." You know, let's not. You know, let's find another way. You know, um, but sometimes it can't be avoided. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to circle back because we were talking about uh, our friends on the political right. And I did, <laughs> I did have a thought. Are there people out there that take issue with state-funded legal aid? Because like, I'd have to imagine those of the politically conservative persuasion would not be too keen on tax dollars being used to defend quote-unquote criminals. Well, that is a back? very interesting point that you make. And I don't know, I have never ha encountered a conservative that took to task like the public funding of my job. I will tell you that because it touches on the liberty interest of people and the liberty value, uh, sometimes people who are quite conservative are big supporters of our work mm -hmm. because they care more about liberty than ending government. And we are often fighting government, what we believe is government overreach into people's lives. Um, and so we have some allies on the right sometimes. Huh. Huh. That's very interesting. 
Um, I, so I wanted to interject here. I'm getting texts that Derek Chauvin was found guilty in all three counts. I wasn't able. Oh. I've, been, I've been refreshing my Google News feed, and I wasn't able to confirm it. Um, but I got a text from my wife and my mom and my other cousin. Um, well, I'm going to go to Twitter on this because they're always an infallible news source. Go, go to Twitter <laughs> on this. Um, yeah, yeah, I have I'll, it here. I'll see. Found guilty on all three charges. I did not. I did not expect all three. I'll be completely honest. No, I, 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 I mean, of course, we would have been uh, incredibly heartbroken if it was done, but I didn't think we were going to get the hat trick. Okay, but so now, Sarah, what do you think about all this? Because we've been discussing you know how it can be just kind of a waste to lock people up so what do you think should happen from here to this guy well um i don't i'm i don't know all of the um details of the case so let's just put the caveat out that like i i i am one of the squinting masses at this case i don't know the sort of um i didn't follow it day by day i find that because of my job i I just have a really, I can't like watch crime shows. Like I just have to have a limit. But as a citizen, I am quite interested in this trial. And um, and um, I do think, so he was offered a plea deal is my understanding um, that would have given him about as, about as much time as he could get if he was um, convicted on all three counts. And um, I think that's interesting. Behind Sorry, what bars, was you mean? What? As much time behind and, bars? Yeah, I think that his maximum penalty isn't that high. It's like in the tens. I don't know. Mm. But I think his offer was 10. This is what I heard, okay? This is what mm. I heard on a, a news show that I watched. Um, and I do think there's value in our society to having, like, this was, this to a, and I'm speaking not as a defense lawyer. Let me just speak as a human being in the world. Like this was a cathartic trial um, that maybe needed to happen. Maybe a quiet plea wasn't what, there wasn't the reckoning that needed to happen. Although I have heard some people feel like the fact that we have to have a trial when it's just so obvious from the video what happened is some sort of failing. And I, I really, do, I don't subscribe to that idea. I think that, um, I think that a quiet plea deal might have left some people questioning, um, you know, what we have, you know, questioning, you know, his treatment in this case. So, right. So, what do you, what do you think so, is going to happen to him? Oh, Not he's going to go to prison. Okay. I mean, if he doesn't go to prison, he's going to go. He's going to go to prison. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's convicted of murder, wasn't he? In the second degree, all, all three. Yeah, here. Uh, let me pull up. What's what's who do we like? What's a good source? This, actually, this is a real question. I'd love to know, Sarah. In your opinion, what are the most reliable news sources out there? The most reliable news sources. Yeah. I mean, I like am probably sites? betraying to all your listeners who I am by saying like, you know, I get the New York Times, uh, the news alert. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. Fucking so, liberals. okay. I'm just kidding. So he, okay, <laughs> he faces, so he faces up to 40 years, um, but he's likely to receive, so I was wrong about what his max is. And so look, if he's, maximum 
penalty on these charges is 40 years and the government comes in and gives them 10 or 12 on a plea deal, are you gonna feel good about that? No, probably None not. of this is good. I mean, none nothing... of it is good. But is there, do you think there's value in having a trial in this situation? I guess I'm interested in what you think. Well, of course. I mean, there, it's due process. Of course, there's, yeah, I think there should have been a trial. I'm glad that it resulted the way it did. But I think yeah. there should have been a trial. I wouldn't want to be on that jury. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Ugh. Nightmare. But maybe yeah. you could write a book about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, they I, had to sit through. I mean, they'll be traumatized. Speaking of trauma, I mean, I can't imagine um, listening to that evidence and not being able to look away. Um, it, yeah. So I, I do think that um, there needs to be more accountability for police officers who hurt people. Um, I worry that we will pat ourselves on the back. Uh, for this and nothing much will change yeah. um like oh we and did i'm it. sure you I, you know i but um and this is one of those cases that really does test my commitment my you know aversion to prison um because um to me police officers should be held to a higher standard of behavior there aren't a lot of mitigators here the scene was so horrific um, so I completely understand, um, the idea that if there's prison, he needs to go there and we don't have an alternative. Mm -hmm. Um, our prisons are inhumane, terrible places where, you know, nobody gets, nobody's safer when they come out and I'm not sure, you know, it doesn't, in this moment, um, I, I do think it's important for police officers to be held accountable. Yeah. Um, and here, I mean, the jury knows way more than me about the facts of this case. And they decided that, um, they convicted on all three counts, which is somewhat unprecedented. It's unprecedented. And that's, that's why I'm stoked on this news. Hopefully this will, this will bring some solace to somebody, you know, um, I want to ask you one last question and it's, sure. just, it's, it's sort of going to the very beginning. So Looking back, I know that you've had lots of jobs in the past, including journalism, photography, a bunch of other things. Was there something that lit the fire under your ass to go to law school, take the bar, and pursue this particular line of work? Um, well, the media media is a tough business to be in. Um, if it was 1975 and you know, I could live where I want to live and do what I want to do. Maybe I'd still be in journalism, um, but I was doing it in the aughts and that was and continues to be a very tough time for media companies. And I just didn't see, I didn't see a way forward. Um, and I really, I had sort of tied the question of, you know, because all sort of type A people are like, oh, maybe law school, you know, it's sort of like a if I go there, things might, I might have a path, you know, and it's just, it, and I really questioned that and resisted that impulse because it just felt like, ugh, I don't want to be just one of these lawyers who goes because it's the thing to do and then, ugh, you know, but um, I, sorry, this is a long answer, but I 
ended up decoupling the question of whether I wanted to stay in journalism from whether I wanted to go into the law. And that made things much easier because I did want to leave uh, journalism for a variety of reasons, which is a whole nother podcast. Um, and then I just worked for a year and then went to law school. And in law school, there are a lot, there's a lot of pressure to um, go into corporate law. That's for the money. I mean, the people have money to pay for a lawyer, you know, I understand the jobs are, are in corporate stuff. Um, I was pretty sure I wanted clients. I always, you know, in journalism, I always loved interviewing people. I always wanted to make one more call. Like it just was clear to me by that point, what I like and what I like is people. And um, so thank goodness I not, I got rooted here where I get to, I mean, in some ways I am reporting out my clients' lives and presenting them to the people who can help my clients, whether it's the jury, whether it's um, a district attorney to get a plea deal. I mean, it's some of the same work and it's just, I get to exist outside of capitalism as you touched on before, which is a huge, wonderful thing. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's great. Uh, Sarah Ruby, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Got mad love for you, mad respect for you. Um, we very much appreciate you being part of this with us. Well, I'm just so honored. I should have said this at the beginning. I'm so honored to be here. I, I hope to God it wasn't a waste of an hour for you. Um, Certainly not. You guys are the best. Thank you for listening to all my, you know, my stuff. And I just can't thank you enough for having me on. Thanks for listening, folks. We hope you enjoyed our talk with Sarah Ruby. Yeah, it was really interesting. Uh, public defenders are such an important and vital aspect of our legal system. Uh, if you are going to law school and not sure what kind of law you want to practice, consider public defense. It's very, very hard and the pay doesn't sound great, but it's something that we really fucking need and there aren't very many of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, I feel like a lot of people get into law for different reasons, you know, real estate law, immigration law, maritime law, whatever, but public defenders, it's such a noble and just thing to do. Um, and I feel like, you know, you make a difference in so many people's lives. Yeah. I mean, I, al I always knew Sarah was a badass. I always looked up to her. But after kind of digging deeper into what she does, I'm just like, girl, you fucking rock. It's heavy respect. Huge respect. All that work. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good choice. Anything else we want to tell our listeners before we sign off? Uh, yeah, just... I ask that everyone, wherever you're listening to this, if you could leave a rating and a review and also uh, a subscription wherever you get this podcast, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, um, Stitcher, wherever. Uh, we're a new podcast. This is only our second episode. We hope you enjoyed the first one as well as this one. And a subscription really helps us out a lot in spreading and growing. So yeah, just hit that subscribe and uh, you'll be able to catch all of our interviews that we got coming up. We have a bunch of really cool ones and a bunch of guests booked. So yeah, just uh, keep on listening to Hell Interesting People. And thanks for being a part of the show. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one. Hella Interesting People is hosted and produced by Jacob Rubin and Mike Ruby. 
Original music by Mike Ruby and artwork by Tim Schatz.